Welcome to Fantasy or Reality, the GPP. Whatever road you took to get here doesn't matter. What matters is you're here. My hope is that we all can help one another in this journey. Hey everyone, welcome back to Fantasy or Reality, the GPP. Today we have a uh, very special guest. I've been really looking forward to this one. It's a friend of mine from my Monday night meeting. I, I consider it my home group because I don't have any in-person meetings in my area that I attend. And um, I've been attending this meeting for six to eight months now, and I've really grown a, you know, a solid relationship with a lot of the guys in this group. And I look forward to it every single Monday. And today we have a really special guest, like I said, my friend Todd S. from New Jersey. Uh, I'm really excited to have him share his story here. He's always got a lot of great things to say. I've learned a lot from him in our meetings, and I think you'll learn a lot from him too. So uh, I'd like to introduce you to Todd. Hey, Todd, how you doing, buddy? Steve, how's it going today, man? Thanks for the uh, kind words there in your intro. Absolutely, man. You deserve it. I've learned a lot from you over our meetings and uh, look forward to everything that you have to say, man. Um, so like I start a lot of our episodes, uh, the guests interviews, I uh, always talk about how important therapy is to me and, and um, what my therapist said to me the first time we sat down when he said, you know, Steve, who are you? So Todd, for the people listening who don't know, explain to us, who are you? So my name is Todd S. And I am a grateful, uh, recovering compulsive gambler. My last bet date was May 12th of 2018. Who am I? I'm a father of three kids. Uh, first and foremost, my kids are age, I have two sons, age 19, almost 20, 17, and a daughter who is 14, soon to be 15. Uh, I'm also a teacher for this is year 26 for me. I'm a history teacher in government. And I'm also a son, one of three sons in my family. I'm the youngest of three boys. I have two older brothers that I'm uh, tight with. We're close. Uh, they're both very supportive of me in the program. And, uh, you know, that means the world to me. And of course, I'm a grateful, recovering, compulsive gambler. And uh, I take it one day at a time. Awesome, Todd. Thank you very much. So from here, you know, like a lot of people know, I didn't start gambling till I was in my 30s. You know, I've had other addictions in the past <clears throat> that we obviously spoke about uh, in our groups. Um, but I know a lot of us in recovery, a lot of compulsive gamblers started at a young age. And I know you started pretty young, too. So you want to talk about how you began gambling um, and what your gambling type was and what was really problematic for you with that? Yeah, so I'm born and bred, as you mentioned, in New Jersey and uh, from South Jersey, as we like to uh, partition New Jersey. <laughs> and in South Jersey, you grow up an all Philly sports fan. So even to this day, I still uh, pretty closely follow the Eagles. They're like my go-to team. And then the Phils, the Sixers, you know, I root for them as well. And I, I was a compulsive sports gambler. Um, I'll, I'll talk about later in, in the podcast that I did dabble in some other areas, but uh, my main focus was sports. And it all began from uh, 
you know, my most vivid and clear memories, probably at about age 16 or 17, I'm going to put it at when my best friend, who still is uh, a best friend to me, uh, him and I started gambling uh, Major League Baseball. And at the time, I was uh, a lifeguard down the Jersey Shore. So this, I convinced myself that, you know, this could be easy money for me. Um, I followed Major League Baseball very carefully, you know, diehard Phil's fan at the time, even at age 16. I was an athletic guy growing up, so I played football and baseball, basketball, all the like, uh, you know, the core sports. And I followed just naturally, you know, all the teams and sports and statistics and things like that. So at that point, you know, I just said, hey, why wouldn't I put some money on this? And, you know, I, it's just going to be easy money. We're going to pick pitchers. And that's what my buddy and I would do. We would study the ERAs. We would study the matchups. You know, I started writing things down on my like crib sheets as I like oh, take meticulous notes, you know, and then, you know, a lot of research and time seriously went into it, even when I was, you know, a 16 or 17 year old. But uh, yeah, it was at the point where I convinced myself that this could become an easy source and stream of money, a, a supplemental revenue and income that I kind of, that, that was the beginning of the end, so to speak. And I never uh, looked back until I joined uh, the humble room of GA at age 44 in 2018. So pretty much from 16 to 44, I was a sports gambler and I did have about a seven year hiatus where I stopped because uh, it was ruining a relationship and I was caught doing it kind of like you Steve mm -hmm. and you know it uh but I was totally still in the gambler's mindset and I still wanted to do it and I just you know willpower stopped kind of cold turkey for about like seven years and then uh, I was around age 40 and you know, that's when uh, I had got divorced. And then at that point, at age 40, it was kind of like the seven year itch was, <laughs> you know, needed to be scratched, so to speak. And I went right back at it harder than ever. And, you know, I'd say from age 40 to 44, you know, during those four years, I was going hard before I finally decided I wanted to change myself and got myself to a GA meeting. Yeah, it sounds like, um, you know, the uh, sports betting for you early on, it's very similar to what I did with DFS, Daily Fantasy Sports. Like I would just spend hours, you know, researching teams and players. And I felt like I had the same knowledge of sport that it felt like only natural to, you know, try to make this extra money from, from sports betting. Or for me, it was Daily Fantasy. Like I felt like I knew the sports so well because I followed them so much. And uh you just think you just have this advantage. You think that you're, you're going to be able to easily make money. And, and especially if you get an, an early win or if you make, if you have a few wins early on, it just really feels like this is going to be so easy, right? Until you realize you just continually lose, lose, lose over and over again. And even when you do win, you end up just giving it all back. At least that's what it was for me. And uh, 
you know, I know gambling is gambling, addiction is addiction, but it always kind of felt different for me with the sports uh, betting. I mean, I never actually did the um, sports betting like you was more, more the daily fantasy, but I feel like they're very intertwined or interconnected. I mean, it's still you're betting on sports, you're betting on the players instead of the outcome of the game. And um, yeah, I guess that's, it's kind of scary right now with the way things are with the sports betting expansion. I just feel like there's going to be a lot more of us that, or a lot more people that have a problem with this. So do you uh, remember, like you said, you got caught and you stopped for those seven years. I mean, I remember the same thing. I got caught, but I didn't really take recovery seriously. I just thought, okay, I can white knuckle this. I can stop. You know, I don't want to lose my family. Um, and I thought that was enough. Um, but obviously I ended up back into it when the stressors hit again. And it sounds like, you know, yours was getting a divorce later on and because we didn't put the work in through a program like GA or, or a recovery program, we end up back into our addiction. Um, I mean, what was it? How did, how did you end up getting caught? How did you end up making it through those seven years? And uh, like you said, you had the divorce. What was it like getting back into it seven years later? I, I think I was caught a couple of times. I remember being like calling. I had a physical bookie that I would call on the phone. And then of course there was, you know, back then it was when everybody had, you know, regular phones, not just cell phones, paper trails of like your phone bill. So literally I might have like 50 plus calls to this same number that, you know, my uh, wife at the time had no idea what the number was. And I just lied and claimed that it's not me. And uh, basically just like, I could look anybody in the eye and just lie to, you know, facilitate my addiction and to continue to be able to get action. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a combination of taking money out of the account and then the phone records and it was kind of like snowballing. And I think it got reached the point where there was like, I couldn't deny it anymore. I mean, so I pretty much for the sake of, you know, my, my family at the time and three kids and I, I think that's what got me through my three kids and, you know, not wanting to, you know, totally, uh, you know, break up the, the whole family unit. And that was willpower, though, because I definitely was not working any form of recovery. I just was abstaining temporarily from gambling sports, but totally following everything. Um you know, daily and really had the urge and wanted to. And that, that all that I do know, I no longer have, which to me is like the miracle of GA and, you know, finding brothers and sisters in the program and finding podcasts and actually working the 12 steps and working recovery on a daily basis. I don't have urges. I can watch a game here and there, and I don't watch a lot of sports I watch Eagles games usually with my son and like every once in a while I'll watch a game like a Sixers game or a Phil's game, but I am not going to sit in front of a TV for endless hours just watching sports because we can never get back time. You know, we can get back money. We can't get back time. That time is lost and I acknowledge that for what it is. But like when you were talking about your daily fantasy and everything, um, it made me think like even in the earliest days as a 16 year old, when I convinced myself I could make money, it was a skill. This was a skill to me. 
it really wasn't like some like crazy risk. It was like, I have a skill and a talent, you know, feed the ego, like all wrapped up in that ego and pride and everything. And, you know, that's how I looked at it. Like, you know, this is a skill and everything. It's kind of like, I guess, you know, really professional poker player or a professional sports gambler. Like it's a skill to them, but they actually can control things and they don't have that like compulsive nature like you and I do. And I mean, I, I, it's weird. Some of these memories I have that just creep into my mind, but I can still remember the number as a 16 year old, I would call 9761313. And I literally might call that number 20 times in one night to get sports updates every five, 10 minutes. I mean, if that's not compulsive and addictive behavior, I don't know what is. Yeah. And then the other two things, when I was even before I was age 16, and I, I thought back to this at one in-person meeting, it just like popped up because we were talking about like origins and roots of our gambling. And I had a little electric horse racing game. And I also, at one point, I think it was like a gift kind of to my brothers and I, like not just to me, it was a miniature slot machine, but we like, we could really put like real money in it. And I remember just being like, kind of like mesmerized and I got immersed in those two things and looking back on it now I mean I was young then like I was probably like 10 years old maybe even less but it there was a great I, I gravitated to both of those things there was a draw that brought me in and like looking back on it it's like man it was always there for me like that compulsive component and you know, I know you like weightlifting as I do and working out and everything. I mean, it's pretty much the compulsive in me, like, you know, reverberates through, throughout anything I do in life. So it's like, you know, GA helps us there with trying to find that balance and take on a lot of different, a, a myriad of tasks and, and interest and try to find some balance and, and some kind of happy medium. And that's always been a challenge for me, whether it's food, whether it's working out, whether it's reading and going down the, you know, the rabbit hole on my phone or whatever, going on Netflix, the next thing you know, it's like seven hours later. So I kind of keep all that in perspective from what I learned, like in the program, you know, with, uh, with how I was with the sports gambling. Yeah, I think that's one of the <clears throat> great benefits of our program and our meetings and just our recovery in general is is how we learn to balance things and recognize that it's not just these negative um behaviors that we can really get compulsive about like you said we both are into weightlifting and i know there have been times where i've been incredibly compulsive about my weightlifting like i can think back to um a time period when i was probably 21 it was after the first time i'd gotten clean from uh, my heroin use where I'd gotten really into weightlifting and um, I started taking steroids and I was going to the gym six days a week and it like trumped everything. I would like not hang out with friends. I wouldn't sometimes even skip a class if I felt like I had to go to the gym and it would be like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'd be doing chest, shoulders and triceps, Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays, I was doing back biceps and legs like not giving myself enough time at all to recover, probably not even realizing that because I'm in my early twenties and I'm taking steroids, but that's 
insanely compulsive. You know, I now in my uh, physical fitness, whatever, what I do is, you know, I just, I shoot for anywhere from four to five days a week. You know, it doesn't have to be at a specific time. It doesn't have to be at a specific place. I'll, I'll work out at home. I'll work out at the gym that we have at work. It's not like, you know, I, if I feel like I'm getting done too late, I'll come home and work out later when the kids go to bed. Or if I, you know, have to be in too early, I won't get up so early that I don't get enough sleep. I mean, granted, I get about four to five hours of sleep anyway with my job, but, um, you know, I, I, it's not like it, it has to trump everything. Like I find the balance in my weightlifting. I find the balance in my, my diet, whereas like in the past or where, you know, when I would be into this health and fitness, I would either, I'd be a hundred percent with it. I wouldn't tell myself no pizza, no dessert, no this, no that. And now I found uh, the best way for me to do that is, you know, once a week, I'll give myself like a pizza maybe i'll make a pancakes for, with the family on the weekends maybe once in a while i'll have a dessert but you know i eat healthy most of the time where it's not like compulsive one way or the other whereas like i'm either 100 eating healthy or 100 eating like crap where i'm eating sugary cereals and banana not banana uh, like muffins and just garbage throughout the day it's uh yeah it can be compulsive with anything so i feel like our our program here has really helped you and i with with a lot of things in life, being able to balance out everything in our life, work, family, friends, recovery. Like, I feel like, you know, I was almost at one point going too much with the recovery thing where like I had to do like, you know, I always, our Monday meetings are the most like important thing in my recovery at this point. So I will always make that because recovery does have to come pretty high up you know, if I can't do anything else that week, that's okay. You know, as long as I have our Monday group, I'm good right now. You know, I used to do Mondays with us, then Tuesdays with another group, then Wednesday, I had to do my podcast. um, And sometimes more than that. And I realized I I can't, it can't be that much. Um, For some people early on, that's what you have to do. But you kind of have to assess that for yourself. So it's about balance with everything. Um, But yeah, so earlier on, you were talking about, you know, you're a lifelong you know, Phillies fan and uh, 76ers and Eagles and everything. And obviously that played a lot into your sports betting, which was the same thing for me with daily fantasy. I I loved sports. So I felt like I had that huge knowledge of sport. I knew what I was doing, but I know we've talked about this in our meetings and I talk about this in the podcast where at this point, I'm basically a year in and I still don't watch sports. I didn't know who was in the Super Bowl, you know, until like, uh, uh, I would see like the headlines and whatnot, but I, I don't know how the Mets did this year. So how, how is your relationship with sports? You said you still watch. It's still a big part. How was that when you first stopped betting and how is that relationship now? Because like you had mentioned earlier, that first time you stopped, you kind of white knuckled it, but you were in that gambler's mindset. How do you enjoy sports today as opposed to when you were gambling and, and how do you not get those urges? Yes, I think going to my Thursday meetings in person and coming on the Monday night Zoom uh, with you, you know, and uh, and listening to Jamie's podcast as well, like all of that keeps me grounded to see the whole picture. Um, I know the Blue Book the other day talked about the whole of life, the rain, the sunshine, the good, the bad, and I really feel like that you got to see the whole picture for what it is and for the fleeting little moment that, you know, maybe I had an occasional big win or, you know, a, a dopamine hit, a rush, 
there were for, for the 5% of those, there was 95% of doom and gloom, uh, Armag personal Armageddon, destruction, misery, <laughs> suffering, stress, anxiety, worry, you name it. Um, all those toxic you know, feelings and emotions were in us and going through us, which is why the program helped me to see that it's an emotional disease. I, well, I didn't show up in May of 18 because I had a, uh, a problem organizing my finances. That's what I thought. You know, I thought I had a financial problem, but yeah. I soon got a rude awakening there. But yeah, I mean, I know you're you're a little under a year right now. And uh, rest assured, in my first year, I kind of did the same thing, man. I took all the sports apps off my phone. To this day, I don't have any on my phone. And I kind of did a purge. I just blocked it out and chose other hobbies and interests. I know you like doing music, playing music is uh, therapeutic for you. You like to weight lift, go to the gym. I do like, you know, walks, I, I exercise, I do meditations, I do podcasts. I like to read, you know, actual like, you know, things that challenge my mind and like keep me up to date. You know, I just choose to put my energy and time in, in other um, activities really and once you start like you do that for a day and then you do it for two days and then you do it for three days and then it's a week and two weeks and a month and the next thing you know you start to forget the memory of like sitting in front of a tv for an entire saturday and sunday and just blowing a weekend um you know watching staring at your phone and and the tv and just being a prisoner sitting there stuck in this whole like all right what's my next back going to be and you know to be liberated from that is definitely like you know something that's special and i you know i don't i can honestly say like i don't have urges when i watch it now because it's i think it's it's uh something that ga taught me is your mindset you know, still the moment, live in the moment. So if I'm watching an Eagles game, I'm not thinking about the point spread or the over-under or, you know, things like that, or like prop bets on individual players. I'm just like enjoying the moment, hanging out with my son. And it's building a new past for me. Each game I watch and don't gamble on becomes the norm. Whereas the old norm was, of course, chasing losses and freaking like, please, please let them get this field goal so I can hit the over, or yeah. cover the, you know, cover the minus two and a half, you know, but that's all it little by little with time, like, you know, bad memories, I guess. And like, you know, anything that happens in your life, that's whether it's a relationship or a death in the family, I do believe I put faith and stock in that, that time does help heal. It, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean you're still not hurting because you are, but each day gets you a little further away from, you know, the day of uh, impact, so to speak, when the bomb went off. So for me, it's just, you know, watching a game like I, like a baseball now, like I won't sit there and watch a whole Phillies game, but I might watch an inning or two or I'll go to, like, I went to the uh, home opener actually this year with, with some friends and it was just about having fun. But that, to me, that helps me because it's, 
it's kind of like I call it Todd 2.0. I just start building the new me and I'm a guy who can just be a fan of sports and go to a game with friends, hang out and just enjoy it for entertainment that it is and the recreation that it is. None of those guys on the Eagles, Phillies or Sixers quite to be blunt and honest, give a shit about me. You know, they don't care. They don't care about me, my family and things like that. So you just got to look at it. I think it's all like mindset, frame of mind, your perspective, see it for what it is. It's just a little recreation entertainment and it's nothing more than that. And the important things in life come into perspective as well when you kind of like, you know, put when you arrest your gambling and kind of, you know, put it all the way out of sight, out of mind. So, yeah, I totally can uh, relate to what you said, like about like that first year and like kind of just shutting it off. Like it was like a switch. I just was like, all right, I can't look at ESPN. I can't watch games. I just got to like try to figure out some new things to do with my time. And so whether that was like I got into Netflix series or documentaries or whatever, I started listening to you know, lots of different podcasts and reading more and going on walks and hitting the gym. I took on a second job. I mean, there's lots of ways that you can, you know, do things. And I have three kids that certainly keep me busy as well, you know, so, but after I, I, I'd say, you know, each individual has a unique recovery. So whatever works for you, if right now, not seeing anything sports related works for Steve, then that's what you do. You know what works for you. You know what your triggers are. I know I don't need to be looking at ESPN because like 80% of the screen now is gambling related. I don't need to be looking at that. That is a trigger. I don't need to be looking at lines and things like that. Um, I'm just setting up a problem if I do that. I'm putting myself you know, in a precarious situation and there's no need or point to do that. So, you know, I, I certainly have established different roadblocks and, you know, ways to uh, get around, whether it's just pursuing a lot of other interests and activities or purging my phone of all the sports apps and all that stuff and just making a commitment to recovery and saying, don't, you know, you don't need to be looking at lines and looking at scores and all because that's the old you that that's the gambler you and when that's coming into my mind that's the illness that's the addiction trying to like lure me back and that's where you got to stand strong and use the strength of the program and and uh you know the, the new friends that you have in the program and everything to get you to get you through that and you know if you need to reach out to somebody you reach out to somebody and talk it out for me, like writing things down, it's not really journaling, but it's definitely like, you know, in, I do a lot of inventory, you know, whether it's personal feelings or it's uh, financial or whatever it is. And once I get thoughts on paper and everything, and then speak about it, of course, in therapy and like, I had a therapist for, you know, maybe about a year or so when I was new to the program that helped, you know, speaking with her definitely helped me a lot help me to just like understand things and put everything in its proper place. It's awesome, Todd. Thank you. Yeah. At, at this point, I'm still in that, that mind space where I'm just not going to 
watch sports. I, I feel like I probably could at this point because uh, I know I spoke about this in our meetings before. Like when I first started uh, the pro, uh, coming to meetings, I think it was like five months in and I'd seen like uh, some like uh, statics go across the bottom line of ESPN. And I like saw what a, a running back had done. And, and uh, the first thought I saw was like, oh, that's 19.3 fantasy points or whatever it was. But uh, now, like I was at a deli with a trainee of mine at work. Uh, we were just grabbing lunch real quick and they had ESPN playing. And uh, I guess, you know, the NBA playoffs are going on right now. And it was just kind of showing the uh, highlights and whatnot. And I looked at it and I realized like, I was watching it for a minute while I was waiting for my, you know, egg sandwich or whatever. And uh, none of those thoughts came through my mind. None of the like, oh, I wonder how he did fantasy wise. Like, oh, he hit a three. That's three and a half points. It was just like I saw it and I just saw the game. So I know like through what I've been doing over this last year, I've been reflecting a lot on how things have been different from day one because I'm coming up May 2nd will be a year for me. So just thinking about how different things are even from a few months ago. Um, but like you said, you know, I'm, I'm still only a year in basically. So at this point, I'm still just not gonna, gonna watch. That's just what works for me. Others, you know, it's different for others. I explain it kind of like, uh, someone was asking me about, you know, my relationship with sports. And I said, for me at this point, it's like me watching would be like me dipping my toe in the water at the ocean. And even though I may be okay, I'm not soaking wet yet. It's just my toes in the ocean. But if I'm okay with that, then I'll take the next step in. And before I know it, once again, like when I got really compulsive with my gambling and it was a problem once I realized I was over my head, before I know it, I'm going to be so deep in the water that I'm fighting to keep my head above water and now I can't breathe. And uh, at this point, I'm happy up on the shore. I'm happy and dry. I'm with my family and I just don't want to go in and get sucked into that undercurrent and and be fighting just to breathe again and um i know that's different for everyone and everyone has to kind of realize and, and do their own inventory like you're talking about because some people can watch sports from day one if there were sports better and not gamble some people can never watch again i think that's up to the individual there's no like cookie cutter program like there are steps that we can follow and principles that we follow but everyone's different. Everyone's situation is different. And they have to realize that through their own recovery, through their own self-reflection. And like you said, speaking with others in their groups with their therapists, like you said, you, you did therapy for a year. Um, I found that in incredibly beneficial for a, a lot of reasons, not even just why I was gambling and how to stop. Um, I think it's real important for you to um, at least give that a shot. So you spoke about, you know, a lot of your uh, different things that you've been doing since you stopped gambling. And you said you started listening to a lot of podcasts. And that's actually how we ended up meeting. Um, we both listened to Jamie's podcast, the After Gambling Podcast. And uh, I, that's a big reason why I do this podcast. I find them very beneficial and very helpful. And we both found Jamie's podcast. We both got in contact with him. And, and he's the one who runs our Monday night meeting. And uh, that's, that's why, I don't know. I mean, he's been really helpful to both of us, you know, him and the rest of our group members have got a lot of knowledge to share. Um, and I, don't know, I just find podcasting very important. This is why I do this. This is why I'm, I'm really happy you wanted to share your story on here. 
Yeah. So aside from our podcast, like what else have you found to be really beneficial in your recovery? Uh, Steve, before I hit on that, let me mention, uh, I just want to go back to something you had said before, which is, you know, you don't want to take a risk. You don't want to tempt fate because the addiction's waiting right outside your house right now. You know, it's the car is running. It's waiting in the parking lot for me. And we, you don't want to risk that just like, you know, I hear at my in-person meeting, the guy who's been coming for over 20 years, why do you still come? Well, it works and I don't want to risk that. So I'm not going to change what has been working, you know, and I look at that one and the same. So it's like, I come because I don't want to, you know, risk anything and coming to the meetings keeps me on the straight and narrow and keeps me right and keeps me in, in recovery. Just like for now, where you're at in the stage you're at, pretty much purging sports and just turning the switch off works for you. So why like risk it or change it? As you grow in your recovery, as you get more years in and things like that, like, you know, that may change. It may not, who knows? Only time will tell there. But I know for me, as I got, you know, more entrenched in, in the program and I chaired meetings a couple of times. I became the treasurer at my in-person. So I've done some service and, and kind of the, the giving back in the program. You know, it, I just became more aware of what my triggers were, what my boundaries were for my recovery, what was okay and what was not okay. And, you know, that's, I've kind of evolved, I, I'd say since then to the point where I now view watching like a game with my son as a family activity to be proud of that's building the new me that doesn't need and just chooses not to put, you know, money and gamble on, on it. And so it's almost like a strength building, character building kind of exercise. And, you know, I, the difference is I'm not sitting in front of a TV from like 11 o'clock in the morning till, you know, 11 at night when the Sunday night game ends, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. I'll make some wings or something or I'll go grab some food and we hang out. We just root as fans, you know, for the, for the team. So, you know, ultimately that's for each individual to discover like in your recovery, but the key word with, with our recovery is growth. And, you know, it's certainly not about being perfect, you know, it's just about growing. And, uh, you know, in terms of the growth and, you know, how I work my recovery and, and the different things that benefit me, I just feel like, you know, put together an arsenal for yourself, get as many tools in your toolkit as you can. Don't rely on just one thing. You know, which is why Jamie and your podcast are invaluable to me. I can go for a walk and listen to them and it brings me, you know, good perspective and, and it's good therapy. And then that's why I do the Zoom on Monday night and my in-person on Thursday. It's why I do some morning meditations for like 10 minutes. It, it's pretty much that word you used earlier, which was balance you know, all of these things, uh, I'm in the subreddit for problem gambling, Jamie turned me on to that. And I'm, you know, I make comments on that. And I read about people's like nightmarish experiences that are going on now. 
And that keeps the narrative fresh in my mind, all the things that I did in the past, but we're not defined by the past. We're not defined by all the shit we did. And I know I like how you've reiterated that in, in some of your different episodes. And that's the truth, but we need to remember it, not, you know, uh, dwell on it, but remember it. And that's why, like, I look at a lot of my financial statements. I open my marble notebooks and read through things I read, wrote like two or three years ago. Every once in a while, I, I need to revisit. I look on my phone at pictures of me burning, cutting up and burning my uh, gambling slips and credit cards. You know, all that helps. So you need to remember where you were and use that as fuel to live for today and to continue on the path that we're on. And it's just all about growth. So we're gonna continually evolve and grow in the program. And, you know, who knows when you're a couple years down the road, you know, you might be uh, totally like comfortable with doing things right now that you're not comfortable with. And I think that's totally normal, you know, cause that's how it was for me when I was like just out and less than a year in, you know, I was very guarded and like kind of circumspect. Like I can't, I can't expose myself to anything like sports. I just got to stay away from it. And eventually I got a comfort level, you know, and grew and worked the program more and my recovery where it was like, I put the middle finger up and kind of like F you sports gambling. You know, you, you're not going to lure me in or trap me and make my life suffering and misery like you once did. And that choice, you know, that's a choice. We have a choice to work recovery. We have a choice to get help. And if we make that our new habit and interest on a daily basis, then little by little, the urge to, to do that, that consumed me on a daily basis from the time my head hit the pillow at night till the, my eyes opened in the morning, that was always the first thought. And that's what I mean by you're a prisoner to the bet. You know, you're a prisoner to, to action. That's how I would go to bed and wake up and probably stare in the middle of the night thinking about what I was going to, how I was going to try to make up my losses the next day. But, you know, growth is the key, I think, in the, you know, in work in the program and putting as many tools in the toolkit as you can and having a repertoire and arsenal, if you will, to, uh, to be prepared when, if an urge does come up. And as far as I, the way I look at it, I'm always going to have this in me. So I got to like, you know, always be ready. And when a, a situation could present itself, I've got to have ways that are right on the ready to deal with it. And that's what I've learned from all the different things that, that I've like exposed myself to. So yeah, you know, I'm more in tune with spirituality and a higher power in my life. I read the blue book to start my morning every day. And, you know, I sit out and meditate and I never did things like that. But I think it's all these little things. When you put them all together, listening to podcasts, you know, going to an in-person meeting and sharing and listening, all of it, the totality of it is what erases the urge because you now embrace like a different style and, and way of life. And that's what the 
you know, that's what recovery is all about. It's all about change and becoming a different change in your character and, you know, becoming someone different. And I like, like you were talking about a lot of the daily activities, you know, that you do in your life now, whether it's lifting or, you know, food and eating habits. And you were talking about like, you know, how you try to find balance and everything. Well, that's recovery right there. That's you applying everything you've learned in your recovery, whether it's from the therapist or going on a GA meeting or listening to a podcast or whatever, that's applying it, making it real life on a daily basis. So it's got to be like that if you really want it to be effective and successful. It can't just be like showing up at a meeting and being there for an hour and a half. And then you come home and you're thinking about like gambling or like watching sports. And so it's like, oh, I worked the program for an hour and a half when I showed up. Well, showing up is not working the program. You know, it's actually like applying it to your everyday life. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. <clears throat> I can really relate to that because uh, like I've spoken about before in our meetings and whatnot, uh, I had drug addictions in the past and I would go to Narcotics Anonymous. And that was literally what I would do. I would just go to the meeting. I'd be there for an hour and then try to just forget about it. I wouldn't apply anything I learned in those meetings. I wouldn't take anything away from them. I just thought this was like, you know, like, oh, I'm just taking a pill and that's it. Like you take a pill and you're, and you're good for the rest of the day. Like, whereas now I realize the stuff that I learned in our meetings and through therapy and through other podcasts, it's like, you got to take that and apply that to your everyday life, to every situation and just doing it little by little over time by different situations and you're not going to be perfect. And, you know, it's there, you're going to still have fights and you're still going to get angry and you're still going to have urges, you know, to varying degrees, but it's just, it's applying the principles that we learn. And that's, and that's what improves your life in general. I mean, like my life is better all around, not even just with the addiction aspect. I mean, I've become a better father, a better husband, a better friend, uh, a better work, you know, a better employee at work, you know, uh, it's, I'm healthier, I'm happier, you know, my mind state is better. And it's all because not only from everything we've talked about already that works for us in our recovery, but by really applying those things to our everyday life. And that's why I talk about like the money I lost, it sucks, but it, it was like the price of admission I had to pay to this new mindset, this new reality. And and would I like to have a new kitchen right now? Sure, but I would not trade that for anything to where my you know to where my life is right now. Like the my I actually feel good about who I am today. Whereas from like age thirteen until you know now I you know until last year you know it vary you know there'd be times where I wouldn't feel horrible about myself, but I was never happy with myself. That's why like when I would compulsively weightlift, like I had to be the biggest, I had to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, I had to be Ronnie Cole, I had to be this massive guy or I wasn't happy. Now it's like, it's more about the journey. Like I, I, I'm happy with where I am right now and, and what I look like and how I feel. And uh, I, of course I'd like to keep progressing, but it's, I look back on each day, like each workout, each good meal is a win. It's a, it's a, it's one more step to being a better me. And that's how I view recovery and going to our meetings and, uh, and just every situation really I deal with in life, you know, uh, for example, like we just had to, I had to replace the heating element in my dryer 
at first, you know, when that happened, I was like, oh, great. You know, how much is this going to cost? We had someone come look at it. It was going to be like 400 and some odd dollars for them to fix. Then we were like, uh, my wife and I were like, well, we might as well just get a new washer dryer because this is the second time we've had to have this fixed in two years. New washer and dryer is going to cost almost two grand. Now that in the past would have triggered me into wanting to gamble. Didn't do that. But now I'm trying to, you know, think of different ways of how to approach the situation, not let it stress me out. And uh, my brother-in-law had mentioned, you know, just watch a YouTube video, you know, you could probably fix this. So that's what I did. Uh, I watched a YouTube video. I was able to get the heating element and replace it for like 160 bucks, saved a bunch of money, uh, didn't really stress about it. Whereas if this had happened last year, A, I would have never even had the mental capacity to even try to attempt this fix. I would have doubted myself and said, I can't do this. I can't fix this. I don't, even if I watch a video because I didn't think I could do anything positive. We would have ended up spending the two grand and then I would have tried to win that back and probably would have lost twice that amount, um, if not more. You know, just going through that situation, fixing it last night, you know, it's just one more of those things where, I, you know, that's another positive thing I've done to not only save us money, but now this is one more thing I've learned. One more positive thing I've done for myself, whereas it's just like eating that, you know, better meal or making the better food choice or going to the gym when I was too tired or, or not getting angry at the guy who cut me off, you know, the 10th guy who's cut me off from my truck today. It's like everything has changed. My mindset has changed completely from from, you know, this new life and mindset and recovery. And uh, I couldn't be happier. And, you know, obviously it's done the same for you. And I totally agree with that. You know, it, it is a rewiring of ourselves as a whole, mentally, emotionally, our characters. You know, I came to the program, like I said earlier, thinking it was a money problem and my bank account's always low. I'm, I'm in debt to everyone, Peter, Paul, I would, you know, borrow from Peter to pay Paul, and then I still owe this one and that one, and never had money. I'm bouncing checks. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. You know, woe is me. Let me uh, feel bad for myself. But it really, it is a, I like the phrase that you use, the price of admission. And it's a slight price of admission for where we, you know, can get to, because neither of us have realized where we can get to yet. We're just on the beginnings of that path. But experiencing the misery and the suffering definitely and the darkness allows us, you know, to appreciate the happiness and the peace and the calm and the serenity in our lives now that we have. And, you know, I, I do firmly believe that I put faith in the fact that you got to go through, you know, darkness and, and uh, difficulties for a reason. And then going through this darkness brought us to the light and, you know, going through suffering and trials and tribulations, things like that leads us to, you know, experience uh, happiness and joy and caring for others. And, you know, I, not too long ago, it's been less than a year that I, my father passed away and I had to, you know, be with, be with him and watch him like suffer and, you know, just wither away to, to nothing, a feeble shell of, of the very intelligent man that he once was. And but I, through all that darkness and doom, I was meant to be there. 
I was meant to learn how to love and how to be a father myself and how to care for other people and how to be selfless. So, you know, again, I think it's all frame of mind. It's all how you view something. I could have just bottled up anger and resentment and been pissed at the world and blamed it on God or a higher power or something if I wanted to. But I look like, I look at it like, you know what, just let this, let, let things go, let, let the higher power take it and just be there for your father. And, you know, it's, that's something outside of gambling, of, of course, but the principles of, you know, we have to go through some suffering and misery in order to be better, in order to evolve and grow and change as, as people. So like, that's something personal that I mentioned that I think made me and continues to make me a better person. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, if you hadn't been in recovery at that point, if you hadn't been working as hard as you've been for the past few years, you know, you, at that point when your father was, was going through uh, the end of his life and before he passed, uh, yeah, you, you could have very easily been very angry and very resentful, like you said, and um, probably would have drove you further into your gambling, but because of where you had been, you're able to look at it differently. It's still difficult. Life is still hard, but it's, that's how we get through those difficult times because it's, you know, if we stop gambling, we stop our addictive behavior and it, life, life is still there. We just have to learn different coping mechanisms. And sure. thank God, because of this program, you were able to apply all that to that very difficult situation of losing a parent, your father, a loved one. And so that was in May of uh, 21. And I was down very close to Atlantic City where I grew up. I was a stone's throw from Borgata and Golden Nugget and Harris and all the casinos. And I wrote a eulogy instead of going and trying to escape like I did in my past into the world of sports gambling. When, like I said, it was a short, short ride. I could have been there and I, I could have got my quick fix. And in the old days, the old me would have did that, would have ran away and tried to escape and, you know, look to forget uh, and not deal with reality and not deal with life on life's terms and me try to like control life and be the puppeteer, so to speak. But, you know, I, I didn't turn to my old ways. You know, my old ways just reeked of a very sick individual. You know, I, I, can, I can remember the things I would do to just escape reality. And it would be like, I was betting on Kazakhstan tennis and I didn't even know either of the players who they were I knew nothing it was just purely about getting action and like having that dopamine hit and having like the the fleeting excitement and driving home from work one day and literally like putting live bets in on my phone and before I even got home I lost like hundreds of dollars it's just like just pure stupidity and <laughs> vanity but you know I look back on it and you know, all, all of those things were how it was an escape, whether it was some sub-level English soccer league in the middle of the night, and I'm putting, you know, I'm on my phone, putting, putting money on it. I have no knowledge whatsoever. 
it was all just feeding that addiction, you know? So the, the program certainly has helped me in immense ways to not turn to the illusory world that addiction is as my cure, as my solution. You know, you can't, when you think about it, it's very circular logic. Like we feel like the solution to our problem is the same as our problem. So how are we gonna solve our gambling problem? We're gonna gamble more. As we, as you and I well know, there is no end. It's just an infinite game. I love that episode that Jamie did on his podcast about the infinite and the, the finite and the infinite. Mm -hmm. that, that really like struck a chord with me, but it's the truth. Like we're never, you're never gonna stop. So you're never gonna win. And the only time you win is if you can stop and cash out. We can't do that. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah, that's the uh, one big difference like between gambling addiction and others. Whereas I, I speak a lot about different addictions and how they all come from the same feelings of inadequacy or trauma in life or whatever it may be. But uh, the, the one difference that I see, at least with gambling, is... Uh, it's the one addiction where we at least believe that it's the solution to our problems. Like when I was using heroin, I didn't ever think that like, if I shot three more bags and I was shooting now that maybe I would stop using heroin. I knew that would just make me a worse off addict. Uh, you know, I never thought if I kept doing more and more Coke, like that would stop me from doing what I was doing. Like I, but with gambling, it's like, it's the one thing where like, you think at least if you continually bet that eventually you'll win or get back to zero. And like you said, it doesn't matter like if we win thousands or tens of thousands or whatever the, that fake number in our head is that we set. Even if we won that and more, it wouldn't matter. We, we lose that and then twice that for people like us that are compulsive gamblers, because it's not about the money. We may think that it is at first and maybe it is at first, but when we are struggling to breathe and, are, and we're under the, that, that ocean riptide, like it doesn't matter how much you win, you still will get sucked back in. You'll still lose it all. Like in, in reflection, looking back, when you're talking about betting on random European soccer leagues that you had no clue about, like I, I can think back and I was doing the same type of things like with, with NHL. Like I know nothing about NHL. Like the NBA was my big thing, NFL. But when the NBA would be off for their, uh, you know, all-star break and whatnot. I would realize like looking back now the last year or so, that's what I, I would go to the NHL and just like make daily fantasy lineups with the NHL. And yeah, I'd like look up, you know, what other people were saying about, you know, who to pick for your, you know, your lineup that day. But I had no clue. I was just kind of just reading and just picking guys. Oh, he, he did well. I tried to apply the same things I did with the NBA. Like I'd look at, you know, this, I don't even know the, the, the positions in the sport, you know, like I'd look at whatever the, the defensive men, defensive guy would, would do the, the last three games and just kind of go off that. Or I had no idea about matchups in that sport. you know, same thing, like at the very end, I was like picking UFC matchups. I had never even watched a UFC fight. And here I am trying to pick guys to try to win. Like looking back, it's just about the action. It has nothing to do with the actual sport or, or what you may actually win or, you know, so that's looking back now, that's something I can see as an indicator that I had a problem. 
So that's one thing I wanted to ask too, because I've had people ask me this before, the report or whatever, just random people asking me like, how, how, how does someone know, or at least recognize they may be developing a problem where they go from being a responsible, I mean, I don't like that term, but whatever, a normal gambler to a, a compulsive gambler. So to me, I see it as if you keep going over your limits, you keep, you know, going over your time and like betting on things you never would have bet on to me, is like something that you may want to take a look at and say, maybe I am having a, a problem with gambling, or maybe I am a compulsive gambler. Is there anything that you can think of for someone who may listen to this podcast or may listen to other podcasts or, or maybe just isn't sure if they're a compulsive gambler, maybe they were able to bet normally for years, or maybe they haven't, maybe they're starting out and they're having problems with it. What, what can they look out for? What looking back on your gambling, what was it that made you realize when you went from a normal gambler to a compulsive gambler? Yeah, Steve. Uh, well, let me start out by saying, I think you're spot on there with, uh, you know, everything you were talking about with, as the yellow book says, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. It is just illusory. You know, what we're chasing and the solution to the problem is the problem itself and the insidious nature, you know, of the addiction. You know, it, it really just uh, completely traps us, engulfs us, and uh, gets us to, to believe things that are just flat out lies. And I always like to hear one, one uh, guy in my uh, in-person group, he always would talk about, it's kind of like a bizarro world. You know, up is down, you know, uh, day is night, left is right, right is left. It's like everything is just, yeah. when you're in addiction, it's just everything you're doing, you know, makes literally like no sense. In terms of like, you know, what you said about how you know you have a problem. I mean, you know, for me, they're the things that we, if we often find ourselves, you know, rationalizing and justifying and denying, eh, that for me was a sign that, yeah, maybe I do have a problem and I'm not able to come to grips with it. And, you know, of course, my financial destruction of just living in, you know, mounds and heaps of debt. And then I definitely like knew I had a problem when I was paying bill, like regular, like, monthly bills were not getting paid or were getting paid late. And when checks were bouncing, all these fees that I'm being charged, um, I knew I had a problem when I would be at holidays, like Christmas and Thanksgiving, and all I spent, I was there but wasn't there. Physically there, other than that, not there. I just spent lots of good time and quality time in the bathroom with my phone. <laughs> yeah. And looking at my sports bets and putting in new ones and chasing losses. And, you know, then I came out and again, all I did was obsess about, you know, my, my sports bets. That's all I cared about. Um, I didn't care about anything else. So when you find yourself constantly looking at your phone or constantly obsessively going on to certain sports apps and things like that, and take accountability in your finances are there telltale red flags and signs of problems like i mean most of the the red flags they were all there pure as day and i just chose not to not to deal with them not to uh, confront them because of course it's easier to just ignore things in life and that's the easy way out 
I would definitely encourage, you know, anybody. And I know I, uh, Jamie turned, turned me on to this book, but Alan Carr's uh, Easy Way to Stop Gambling is a great read. And uh, it's really all about the illusion, the trap that is gambling. Um, he, he first wrote, uh, his first book was on smoking and the nicotine addiction and how to overcome it. And then he just pretty much, to use a gambling word, parlayed it towards <laughs> gambling and towards drug use and things like that. But it's definitely a worthwhile read, um, although it's a quite a clickbaity title, The Easy Way to Stop Gambling. Um, there's, there's definite information of substance and things that can help you, and especially in your mindset and how you view you know, the whole illusory world of gambling and whether you're caught up in it and it's becoming a problem. But uh, yeah, the interesting thing for me is that when I stopped in May of 18, that was the same year that uh, the SCOTUS took on the Supreme Court of the United States, this, the history teacher, I mean, took on the, uh, you know, the, the Federal Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, uh, PASPA, AKA the Bradley Act. And, you know, that was uh, the case is actually labeled as Murphy, Phil Murphy, current governor of New Jersey, Murphy versus um, the National Collegiate Athletic Association, the NCAA. And, you know, that was where the, the court pretty much handed the football over to the states. You know, it was about, uh, the case is really about federal versus state power. And, you know, they felt like that federal law overstepped and kind of treaded on the powers of states. And, but we all know what happened then, you know, that's where they said states can determine their own, you know, policies towards whether they're going to have sports gambling and online gambling and things like that. But I always found it quite interesting that I showed up at GA in May of 18, right when all that stuff was going down. And I mean, when I gambled sports, I didn't have a whole lot of options. It was mostly outcome bets, take the money line and a team or the point spread and a team or an over under, you know, whether it was baseball runs or football, you know, 48 and a half take over or under. Nowadays, you know, I, I really feel for the young generation that are on their cell phones and on their electronics constantly. And with the absolute insanity of the, the barrage of the advertising that they're all doing now in the state of New Jersey and your state in New York, I know in the first month of New York, you know, legalizing the online and the sports, the call center for the problem gambling, like it went up like, like something like 50 or 75% in the number of calls they received. And mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with you. I think we're going to see more and more young people showing up at the in-person meetings, showing up on uh, Zooms and everything. I can only hope that they don't allow their misery and suffering to extend like I did for all those years, because they can literally, you know, lose their shirt. They can lose a whole account they can, they're going to have to be like going into bankruptcy if they're putting things on credit cards and everything, because there's a thousand and one bets within one game now. 
I mean, with all the props and all the live bets, like you can gamble on third down whether they're going to get it or how many, uh, you know, how many points is Embiid going to score and how many rebounds is he going to get? I mean, it's, it's an infinite, endless uh, losing, of course, uh, just a losing endeavor because the casinos, the more volume of, of bets that people are putting out there, the more the percentages are, of course, going to favor the house. And the more people are going to lose and the numbers don't lie. All you got to do is check out New York or New Jersey's results of what the revenue and income is mm. coming in monthly. Uh, the casinos are not there and the sports books aren't there because they're losing. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, one of my buddies in the in-person meeting, he said, and I always like this quip. He's like, I never met, I never met somebody who was in bookies anonymous. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's funny. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. I can imagine if that stuff was around when I was, you know, gambling, thank God I stopped last year and not this year. I probably would have lost. I didn't want to think about how bad it could have gotten. Yeah. A lot of great stuff, Todd. I guess I, I just have like a, one more question for you. And, um, how do you um, handle it now with the people in your life? I know you, you talked about sitting down watching the games with your kids and how that's, um, you know, a great relationship building thing. I know you talk about how your kids know all about it. You, you know, some of your family knows. How do you handle um, your recovery with the people in your life now? Because I know a lot of people have tr trouble opening up with it. One of my favorite episodes that Jamie does, this is number 11, where, you know, he, he talks about, us as gamblers and, and how he made that for family and friends, because it's hard for us to talk about this with people at first. So, you know, I'm very comfortable being open about my addiction. I wasn't at first. I never was able to talk about my addictions in the past. And now I feel like talking about it is what has helped me immensely also. So how do you handle that in your daily life with your family, your friends, coworkers and such? Yeah. So I would say, a core foundation and tenet of recovery is transparency and honesty. You know, at a certain point, you can't hide. You can't keep like little secrets. You can't, you know, just lie by not including something or talking about something. So it's kind of like that, uh, you know, a lie by omittance, you know, when you don't, you just didn't say it. Well, that's basically the equivalent of lying. So all of that, you know, has to be swept away. Um, all of that, you can't leave a 1%. It's got to be 100%. So, you know, for me, it, there definitely was a timeline to all that. Um, the first person I reached out to beyond the gambling room that I showed up to in May of 18 was my middle brother. I felt comfortable, you know, talking to him, but he was the first person that I opened up to on the phone about it, had a talk with him, told him that I was, I was going to, uh, you know, GA, that I needed help. And, you know, I was seeking help there. And you, you, I'd say each individual though, just has to do it at their own speed and their own comfort level. Um, it took me a while before I then told others, before I told my mother, my father was already mentally sick, so I couldn't tell him, unfortunately, before, you know, he got real sick. So, but I did, you know, tell, share it with my mother that I was going to get help. 
and my oldest brother and my sister-in-law and then any relationships I've had over the years that I've been in GA. You know, it's not like I'm going to tell the person on the first day or something of the relationship, yeah. but I don't like to, you know, keep any anything secretive. I'm very, I'm an open book, I'm transparent. So they have the right to know what, what I, you know, do with my life on a daily basis, what I choose to be important. And so I'm honest and forthright with it. And, you know, now there's a certain sense of, uh, you know, almost being like, like proud that I am willing to open up and share about it. Whereas early on, it was more shame and guilt and humiliation and eventually you know you grow and you get over all that and you realize that you know hey i'm living for today and then when tomorrow comes i'll deal with tomorrow and so i don't have to like rack myself with shame and guilt and be humiliated it's just all about how i'm living now and and uh yeah so eventually it probably took me a good couple of years before I shared it with my three children and I kind of was waiting to, for them to be at an age where I felt like they could understand it and handle it. And, uh, you know, they all know what I do on uh, Mondays and Thursday nights and they're very supportive of me. And I haven't met anybody who I've told and disclosed and shared work in uh, GA and everything like that. I haven't met anybody who was vindictive or negative or in any way shape or form everybody's been very supportive so I think a lot of times it's in our head we just like create this narrative of like oh they're going to disown me or whatever my buddy who I started gambling with at like age 16 on the on the baseball like you know he flat out told me he was really proud of me and he showed his uh, true colors as a friend because he doesn't text me stuff about it or engage me in like anything like really gambling related. Only if I bring it up, then, you know, we'll, we'll talk about something, but, you know, he, he's kind of uh, navigated that, that line, that fine line very well. And like, I appreciate that with the people in my life that support it because you can't do it alone although it's a selfish program because we got to go for ourselves and we got to show up and do things for ourselves. It's also ironically enough, a selfless program because as we grow, just like you're doing right now, you're helping yourself, you're helping me, you're helping all the listeners. And, you know, that, that's really what it's all about, but we just got to make sure we work all those steps and don't go from one to 12 and do the old yeah. two-stepper. Yeah. Yeah, that's been my experience too, is early on and for years when it came to addiction and my other addictions, I just thought people were going to view me differently, see me differently. And um, my whole experience over this last year is everyone I've told, everyone I've spoken with, no one has judged me. I've heard a lot more people say that, yeah, I'm proud of you. Uh, it's great what you're doing. Um, so that's one thing I, I would want someone who's listening to this to understand i know it's impossible to realize that in your first days or if you're still in it but most people i've come across with all my loved ones and like there's no one who's judged me it's they just want to see you do better like my best friend told me when we did our episode together he he just wants me to be happy he just wants me to be better it's like he's like i don't even want you to have a bad tuesday that's you know that's my best friend but 
that's how everybody in my life has been. They just want you to do well. They want you to be happy. They don't want you to be mentally sick or, or depressed or full of anxiety every day. And uh, I haven't felt that from anyone in my life. No one's judged me. And uh, you know, like Todd said, you know, everyone tells or comes out to the people in their lives at, at, at different, um, at different time frames. And Mine was quicker than others, I think, because I had gone through this addiction prog- uh, process several times. And I just realized, like, this time around, I had to just, like, open up about it. Because every time I've tried to minimize or keep things to myself, it didn't work. You know, being open, I feel like, comes along with that self-acceptance where you realize there's nothing wrong with you. You're not a bad person. You're not trying to hurt people. You're not some loser addict. You know, we just have this compulsive nature, this, this addiction, whatever it may be. And there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with having that. It's just recognizing it and taking the necessary steps to be better, to become better, to become happier, to become a better person to the people around you and to yourself. So um, before we close out, Todd, I mean, this was great. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? I'll just uh, wrap it up, Steve, by saying you're one of the good guys. You're one of the ones who's doing good things and doing the right things in your life now to, you know, make your life better each day and to bring about like positive change, not just for you, but for, for many others. And uh, I commend you for stepping up and in less than a year in the program, you know, doing your own podcast and be being a great spokesperson, you know, for compulsive gamblers who are, you know, struggling with the addiction. And, uh, you know, I think you define the whole selfish versus selfless because you're helping yourself, you're helping me, and you're helping a whole lot of other people. So keep doing what you're doing. And uh, life is just going to continue to get better for both of us each day. And uh, we probably can't even imagine how good it's going to get, brother. Thank you so much, Todd. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and being open with everyone and sharing a lot of, you know, what you've learned over the last, you know, four years almost. And your date is very close to my date. So we're both going to be celebrating here coming up soon. So thanks again, man. I really appreciate you doing this and uh, I'll see you on Monday. Yeah, it was my pleasure. And uh, just remember giving F you to that gambling. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> all right steve thanks todd and uh thank you everyone for listening be good to yourselves here's where to get help you can call or text 1-800-522-4700 that's the national council on problem gambling or you could call 1-800-GAMBLER 1-800-426-2537 this is where i found Um, the link to my therapist through my local counselor. And then also, we cannot forget our affected others. My wife goes to Gammonon every week, and it's been a huge help to her. So anyone in your life who you feel like needs help or you've affected through your gambling, you can go to gammonon.org, G-A-M-A-N-O-N.org. The number is 718-352-1671.